today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The crucifixion of Christ wasn't the failure of the plan of God. Oh, God sent Jesus to be a good model and to point us to God. But unfortunately, in the midst of that, they they arrested him and they crucified him. And that really messed God's plan up. So God had to raise him from, no. From the very beginning, Christ came as a sacrifice for the sin of man. And God planned and purposed from the very beginning as that sacrifice, he would raise him again from the dead. He was determined, it was the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Many of us would find it hard to imagine what it would be like to follow someone for three years only to witness them suffer a terrible death. The amount of confusion, heartbreak, and loss of hope would no doubt crush many of us. As you've probably guessed, this is in reference to the life and death of Christ. In today's message, Pastor David reminds you that every part of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was according to plan. In his study, you'll learn how God had everything under his control. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message in the spiritual maternity ward. When the world looks at us, when the world speaks to us, do they know that we've been with the Lord? Is the power of the Spirit working? There's nothing intrinsically wrong with going to the movies or talking about the ball game or having a vacation or going to the mall. And there's certainly nothing wrong with my grandkids. (laughs) But again... Question is, is what is it that fills our lives? Who is it that drives our lives? The mockers of that day saw these guys and said, those guys are full of new wine. They're all drunk. Well, it's an interesting note here that at that time, the time of Pentecost, it would have been the time to have new wine. It was the time of the harvest. They would have just started the fermentation process. It was just at the very beginning. And it is also called sweet wine. As a matter of fact, the word that Luke uses there that's translated in many of our Bibles as new wine can also be translated as sweet wine. It's the beginning of the process. The bitterness of the fermentation hadn't had its full effect. As a matter of fact, to help you understand the word a little bit, the Greek word for new wine or sweet wine is the Greek word glucose. Glucose. thought that was pretty interesting. So you see, in, in, the, in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of all the amazement and the marveling and the perplexity, even in the midst of the mockery, the Apostle Paul, or Peter, I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, He stood before the crowd that was gathered there and he began to speak, not with apology, but he began to speak boldly. 
Look with me at that passage down in verse 14. We've covered all the previous stuff over the last couple of weeks, but we're down in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice. He raised his voice and he said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. The third hour of the day, that would have been nine o'clock in the morning. No, they weren't drunk. Uh, again, the Jews, observant Jews, wouldn't have even, would not have begun drinking prior to nine o'clock at all, much less being drunk. But again, the natural mind doesn't comprehend the things of the Spirit. And so Peter brings him back to this prophecy that's written by Joel, but with a distinct purpose to explain what exactly had taken place, but even more importantly, that there was this need to be able to share with all of these individuals there the message of Christ, not only the message of Christ and his message himself or his ministry, but also the fact of Christ crucified and raised again. Look at what he says, verse 16. And this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, Peter's giving this evangelistic message to them, and he's bringing right in the, right in the middle of that message. Listen, you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. These words of the prophet Joel, they, they, they encompass actually the entirety of the last days. But Peter wasn't saying that all that Joel spoke about in his prophecy is what has come to pass. What Peter is sharing right now is what just now took place within the context of everything that, that Joel speaks about in his prophecy. The portion of the message speaks about the ending or, or, or the last of the last days. In that portion, that hasn't happened yet. When Joel says, uh, wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, that hasn't taken place yet unless you live on the big island in Hawaii. And that's still going on right now. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's what is yet to happen. But this other portion, the earlier portion, is what deals with the beginning of the last days as he declares how God says that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on your men servants and on your maid servants, I will pour out my spirit 
in those days and they shall prophesy. Peter is connecting the dots for these men who knew the prophecy of Joel because they were Old Testament men. Remember, this was these were Jews from all around the world at that point in time. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. And as Peter's connecting these dots for them, helping to realize that these events that just happened They're going to continue to happen as signs of the last days. And what we see here is the beginning. It is the birth of the church. You know how when when a child is born, the the, the first noise or the thing you really want to hear is that child just bellowing out, just crying out, taking in that deep breath. And you know, okay, man, we've got a healthy son here or we've got a healthy daughter here. They breathed in the breath and, and they're crying out. And that's what what we see here. Man, they breathed in the breath of the Holy Spirit. They're crying out in praises and in worship to the Lord. And this is the very beginning of the church age. It's the beginning, again, of the fulfillment of that prophecy of Joel. And then Peter ties it all together within the context of the message of Christ. Look what he says, verse 22. He's looking at them. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, by wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Now, you've got to pause here and realize he's making this great declaration that Jesus did all these wonders, these miracles, and you saw it. He did it right in front of you. They couldn't, they couldn't argue the fact at that point in time. Again, this is, this is a declaration of the reality and the truth of the work and ministry of Christ. But he goes on from there. He says in verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and you've crucified and you've put him to death, whom God raised having loosed the pains of death because it it was not possible that he should be held by it. So he speaks about the coming of Christ, the miracles and the ministry of Christ, the arrest and the crucifixion, which you guys did, but God raised him from the dead. And relating all these events of the crucifixion, Peter doesn't mince any words. He's really straightforward. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you've taken, you've taken him by lawless hands. You've taken him and crucified him. You've taken him and put him to death. And as he relays all of these facts, he also tells him, oh, by the way, none of that took God by surprise. None of that took God by surprise. The crucifixion of Christ wasn't the failure of the plan of God. Oh, God sent Jesus to be a good model and to point us to God. But unfortunately, in the midst of that, they they arrested him and they crucified him. And that really messed God's plan up. So God had to raise him from, no. From the very beginning, Christ came as a sacrifice for the sin of man. And God planned and purposed from the very beginning. As that sacrifice, he would raise him again from the dead. He was determined, it was the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. As a matter of fact, all of it was in God's plan. And that brings us actually to the second point of of Peter's message here. Quoting from the words of King David from uh, Psalm 16, look down in verse 25. He brings these men who knew not only the writings of Joel, but they knew the writings of David. 
He says, David says concerning him, I I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Peter goes on to explain and, and, and bring in the meaning of David's words, and I love it. He, he interprets these words again, again in the light and the reality of the resurrection of Christ. Look what he says in verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. He said, you know, David didn't raise from the dead. No, he's, he's dead. He's still in the tomb. But he was a prophet. Look what he says, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to set on his throne. Christ being born of the birth line of David. Verse 31. He, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning, not his own resurrection, but the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades or the place of the dead, nor did his, Jesus Christ, nor did his flesh see corruption. And then Peter brings in, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. As you understand in Peter's message here as he's quoting from Joel, Peter declares that God had this perfect plan for the last days and he was working that plan out even before their very eyes. And then quoting from David, Peter is sharing that God had planted the reality of the resurrection even within the heart of David back when David wrote the Psalms. Peter then wraps it up with the confirmation of the Messiahship of Jesus and the need, literally, as Paul tells us later, that, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Look what he says down in verse 33. Brings it home. He's bringing the message home at this point. Therefore, Jesus being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, poured out this which you now see and hear. What just took place in the room here with the coming of the Spirit, the sound of the wind, all of us speaking in in a variety of languages, all of that is what God has done through Christ. It was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Again, prophetically speaking of Christ. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, oh, by the way, the one whom you crucified. I love how he nails that again. He he has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ or Messiah. And again, the anointed one. In the Greek, it is the Christ. In the Hebrew, it's the Messiah. Both of the terms meaning the same thing. He says, oh, and and by the way, that one whom you crucified, 
Yeah, it was your actions that crucified him. God has made him both Lord and Christ. I believe that those last words tied everything, everything together for them. I believe that it brought it all home. It was the reality, again, of their sinfulness, that they were now in the midst of recognizing and seeing their sinfulness. That now they're drawn, they're drawn to the mercy, they're drawn to the forgiveness that's being offered to them by God. Beloved, it's only, it's only when you and I truly see our sin as God sees it that we really become broken and that we're really and truly willing to repent. It's only when we see it how God sees it. As long as I consider my sin a small thing, I I have no real reason to repent of it. It's when I see it how God sees it. That's when it makes a difference. It's interesting. you got to realize, for for Peter here, this is this guy's first sermon. Okay, Can you imagine? This is your first sermon. How are you doing, Peter? Well, I think he hit it out of the park. Because again, it, it wasn't because of all of his seminary training, although he had three and a half great years with Jesus. How, how great a training could that be? But it wasn't even in that knowledge. It was by that empowering work of the Holy Spirit as he spoke out these things, as he brought the Old Testament together for these Jewish men and brought that back together to the ministry of Christ. Look what he says in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, you need to repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. To you as Jews, to your children as Jews, but also to those that are afar off. That starts bringing in the Gentiles. That's you and I. As many as the Lord our God we'll call bringing all nations, all tribes, all tongues to him and as many as the Lord our God will call. What a powerful promise that is. Beloved, it's in our brokenness that God's mercy becomes active. It's it's, it's in our repentance that God's forgiveness comes and covers our sin. If there's no brokenness, If there's no repentance, then the offer of God isn't realized. It's not received by us. Because without brokenness, without repentance, we think we can handle this thing ourselves. We think we're we're doing okay on our own. It's when the the understanding of our sin hits us in in, in reality of how God sees our sin, that we are cut to the heart. Man, what do I need to do? Peter says you need to repent. You need to come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, not only will you have that salvation, but again, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Look what he says down in verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse 
generation. He says, with many other words. I wonder how long Peter's sermon went here. We know that Paul had a sermon that lasted on into the night and somebody fell out the window, fell asleep because the sermon went so long. But I wonder how, how much Peter really gave. Luke tells us with many other words, he testified, he exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. You know, we're going to have a baptism tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week, next Sunday. And if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you know that your sin has been forgiven by Christ and you've come to that point in your life of receiving him, but you've never followed him in believer's baptism, you know what? You are disobedient to the word of God. You're disobedient to the word of God. If you've not followed the Lord in believer's baptism since you came to faith in Christ, you're disobedient to what the Word of God says we need to do. It's the reality, it's the truth of, 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 again, what's already taken place in our life. When we bring in that baptistry, there's no magic waters in that baptistry. But what it is, again, and we see it all throughout the New Testament, that when we enter into those baptismal waters, it is a declaration, it's a testimony that as I go down into that water, I want you to know that in my life, I've died to my life in order that Christ might live in me. We rise to walk in that newness of life, as Paul says. We need to make that testimony. If you've not made that testimony in your life, again, the, the, the disobedience, I don't, I don't believe that God's gonna continue to, to work and bless you and, and work in your life in all that he can until you walk in obedience to that. It says in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Beloved, that's the birth of the church. What a powerful birth that is. That's bigger than any 10-pound, 4.5-ounce boy. 3,000 souls that one day. Can you imagine how, how do you deal with something like that? I guarantee you, you're not going to deal with it in the flesh. If these guys weren't in the spirit, if they weren't directed by the spirit, what a mess that would have been. But God took that and he began a work there. The beloved continues today, all around the world, all around the world, and will continue until the Lord comes for his church. The birth of the church, the growth of the church, we're going to be looking at that as we continue on in Acts. But the first question, the question I need to leave with you this morning is, have you even come to that point of birth yourself? Jesus told Nicodemus, a very religious man, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. And that is a real and true internal change. That's not just a change of mind. That's not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just a decision, well, I'm going to start going to church and I'm going to try and be good. Beloved, that is a, an, an internal, that is a supernatural, that is a spiritual work of God that takes place in your life. When you come to that point, seeing your sin as God sees it, repenting, that's turning away from that sin. Not just turning and going another way, but turning from that sin and moving now toward God to repent of your sin and let God, again, begin that work in your life 
that salvation work, that work of redemption, and then that ongoing work of sanctification, making you more and more of who you are designed and purposed to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love, too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word. The Open Word.